in this church for 24 years. And um, honestly, if I'm being brutally honest with you, this feels like one of the most exciting times in those 24 years. I can remember my excitement of when it was new and when it was kind of growing and I was in it in its early years and that was very exciting. And it's been exciting all the way along, but something has changed. And it's wonderful to be part of whatever God's called us to. I ask that you would all be hungry for what God is trying to do here. Hungry for it. There's been word, a word brought not so long ago which God gave a picture to me of an aircraft carrier. said, aircraft carriers, are, we used to think we were a battleship. He said, no, you're an aircraft carrier. You will launch amazing missions out into places, but you're going to be rock solid, and everyone on an aircraft carrier has a job. There's no deck chairs. There's no paddling pools. It's a place of work. It's a place of mission. It's a place of purpose, but it's rock solid. And this morning, we've just sent out a great big cargo ship off to Egypt. And there will be more stories to tell. But there's fighters who are literally going down the road into this town that we live in here. Just so you know, I've said this nearly every time I've preached. It's no surprise to anyone who preaches, let me tell you, that it's been a really tough week. It nearly always is, as you lead up to preaching, really difficult. And um, I would say this one's been a tough one. The reasons for it, it's been tough are kind of many-fold, two- or three-fold, really. Pastoral challenges, a week of really trying to help pastor some situations which were challenging, trying to help and love as best we can as a, as a team. Um, but the second challenge was trying to take something like this chunk of Scripture and cram it into, give me 35 minutes, and cram it into 35 minutes. And Because um, to me, it's one of the densest and richest pieces of Scripture, which is why when Jimmy said, I'd like to sing it, I was like, Everyone, just keep saying it. Keep saying it. And when then Bethlehem comes up and says, I'd like to read out the li-, I'm like, go and read it. Go and read it. Because the more times we hear this, the better chance we have of receiving what it's actually got to say to us. It's so packed with goodness. For me, it's actually quite overwhelming um, to take it in. And Jimmy, love, well, Jimmy is a great friend of mine, texted me yesterday, I'm so excited about what God's going to do tomorrow, what you're going to say. And I'm like, don't give me any more pressure. I don't need any more pressure for what do I get out of literally taking this colossal piece of scripture which does all the work on its own and try and do something with it. There's an expectation, there's none of this is my notes, we're in trouble already. There's an expectation sometimes that my job is to come here and to somehow improve the word of God. Now sometimes I'm trying to explain it because of context, but to improve it, it's very hard to improve something this powerful. So I'll do my best. So we went on holiday, me and my family this year, and we were blessed um, to get to America. A lot of air miles were used up to get there, but I managed to, we managed to get to America, go to New York, and we went to see Matilda, um, the musical, which is difficult because my son hates musicals. He's like, don't ever. We went to see Into the Woods, the film, because it had James Corden in it, and we thought that would be funny, and, and they started to sing, and he looked at me and went, I'm going to kill you, because he hates musicals. But Matilda was actually quite good. And in Matilda, there was this particular character that came to mind, a kid called Bruce. There's a scene about, it, um, about this kid called Bruce. He takes a slice of the headmaster's, headmistress's cake. 
He steals it. And um, she's called Trunchpole, I think, if I get that right. Is that her name? Miss Trunchpole? Yep, Trunchpole. And she finds out and she forces Bruce to eat the entire cake. And the cake is massive. This is a scene from the movie. The cake's huge. And she says, right, you, you've taken a slice, eat it all. And Bruce fights his way through and he eventually manages to eat it. And on the stage show, they kind of very clever how they manage to make it look like he's eating it because it's huge. And right at the end of it, he literally just stands there and then burps. This colossal burp comes out of him because everything that's gone in cannot stay in. It's too much for his system to hold even Bruce. And out it comes in the form of noxious gases. Everything forced in has to come out. And that's what I think is going to happen here. There's going to be so much going in, and I'm praying to God that some of it actually then starts to come out of us. It will come out of us this morning. It will come out of us in the weeks to come. It will come out of us in our walk with Christ, which is why I wanted to read um, Hannah's word out that she gave me this morning. Shame she couldn't read it herself, but, but it was that thing about God's about a work in you. He's about a work in every single one of you. None of you are here by accident today. All of you are here for a reason. God wants to speak to you, and it will work itself out this morning and in the weeks and months and years to come. It's going to be something significant for you. Not because I'm great at presenting it, because it's an amazing scripture from God. Okay, so Ephesians 1 to 4. It's like this dense thing you've got to take on. And I believe it's going to force some stuff out of us and it's going to be like rich stuff that's coming in and eventually it will start to come out of your mouth. When you're talking to your friends about what it's like to be a Christian, you'll not say, nice, we've got a good church, they're quite, you know, modern. That wouldn't be what you would say. You would talk about Jesus. You would talk about God. It would come out of your mouth. So in 35 minutes, what I'm going to try and do uh, is explain as best I can the overview of it. And I'm going to leave with one word, hopefully, in your mind that God said, this is the one I'll explain later. I'm going to hold you in suspense like some really sort of, I don't know what I'm doing, but I'm trying to, there's a word that God gave me to say from this scripture that he wants all of us to keep right at the front of our minds. So I'll do my best. Um, I won't keep you in suspense for too long. But um, let me just set the context up. I think it's really important to know what we're looking at scripturally here. So um, this is a letter written by Paul. It's written in um, 60 AD, um, around that time. He's under house arrest at the time of writing it in Rome, okay? Um, and he writes to a church in Ephesus. Now, Ephesus, to give you an idea, this is Google. If you Google it now, it's there. It's in um, Turkey, so it's in western Turkey, exactly. Anyone up there to figure out why we've lost that? Okay, I'll keep talking. It's in Turkey anyway. I can tell you most of this stuff. Thanks, Aaron. I think the projector might have kicked out. Oh, it's back. Thank you very much. Thank you. Look, two guys helping. Loyal again. Faithful. See? Good. All right. Um, So it's here in Turkey. I've been there myself. I went there once on a holiday many years ago. It's kind of in ruins now, but that's where it sits. Um, And... um, Paul wrote this about 16 years after he'd been sent out as an apostle. Him and a guy called Barnabas were told to go and spread the gospel around. The, they did missionary journeys, and Ephesus is one of the key places they went to 16 years after that all began. So he became an apostle, which means someone sent forth to go on mission. Um, you can read about what actually happens when he's there in Acts 19 and 20. I think it's, that's where you're going to read about what's been going on. Because sometime around 54 AD, Paul and Barnabas, Paul turns up there, and meets this really small bunch of Christians who really don't know very much about Christianity. They're pretty kind of new to it all. They don't really know about the Holy Spirit. 
So he prays, first of all, that the Holy Spirit will come to enable their mission. Uh, They're kind of newbies. They've got a few funny doctrines going on. So he really encourages them, strengthens them, helps them understand what God's there for. He's not a superhuman. Paul doesn't do the work. He just helps them realize what they're called to. And then they start to do this amazing thing with this church. And it's probably a city of... Statistics really are confused around about 30 to 50,000, something like that at the time this happens. Um, but eventually this spreads out to all of Asia, the surrounding areas of Asia. This little group of people impact a, a city and then parts of Asia, the surrounding areas. It's famous. It's quite well known. Um, in the, it has one of the wonders of the ancient world, which is this thing here. This is the Temple of Artemis or Diana, which is sort of fertility kind of type god. And it's one of the seven ancient wonders of the world because it's now like this. It's collapsed. But it was colossal. It was massive. It was known for many, many miles around. There's this amazing place where this is amazing. They built this colossal temple to this god or goddess, depending on which one you're going to put on it, Artemis or Diana. And um, when they'd arrived there and spread the good news, they'd eventually been rioting in Ephesus because they were saying that there is... One God, there is Jesus Christ, there is a, everything, this stuff is all nonsense, this is all paganism, and there was a lot of people who had a lot of money invested in this. They were selling idols, they were doing all this stuff, so obviously when they start to share the gospel, they get a ton of resistance, and there's rioting, and basically, but they fight their way through. They get their way through that. You can read about that in Acts if you want to. Um, also, um, it's not the nicest of places, because this is the ruins of the library, and the library had a tunnel under it. And the tunnel under it went to the brothel. Because basically, men would say, I'm going to the library. But they weren't going to the library. They were going to a brothel. And Ephesus was famous for prostitution as well. Temple to fertility. Library that's not really a library. So it had a lot of difficulties. A very challenging place to try and share the good news. Quite a, a lost society. Quite, you know difficult to kind of tell people that you need to change your ways. So Paul, anyway, at the time of writing Ephesians, he's now writing to a well-established movement of churches. Um, and many would argue, actually, even though he's writing to Ephesians, he's actually writing to everyone. It's, he's like writing to them, but he's almost writing it in a way that says, share this everywhere. Share this letter. This letter is for everybody. I'm just sending it to you guys in Ephesus. So it's designed to be circulated around. And, and important to, to know about this, unlike Paul's other letters, of which there are 12, again, it depends how you look at it, but of his other letters, this is the only one, I'm reliably told, that Paul writes to not deal with an issue. All the other letters he writes are to say, something's going wrong here, I need to bring you some correction or direction. With Ephesians, he's just saying, encourage you in everything God has poured out upon you. It's a letter of encouragement. It's a letter to declare how good God is. So it's not trying to address anything. It's just gospel-powered, grace-saturated, pure encouragement for then, and it's pure encouragement for us now. So in that context, he's written it. And um, that's the why he writes it, a bit of the why. But here's something quite revealing about the how he writes it. Have you ever seen someone, like a kid, who's so excited about something that they just tell you and they can't breathe? They're just going on and on and on. Joel used to do it when he played football, when he used to tell us. What I did is I passed it down the wing, I passed it down the wing, and then Bobby came over, Bobby came over, he headed it, and he headed it across, and it came to me, and I was running down the wing, and I ran out, I kicked it across, and then the goalkeeper kind of pulled it off, and he got to the side, and the guy kicked it over, and I headed it in the goal, and he couldn't, he tried to grab it, but he couldn't, and it went in the back of the goal, it was amazing, you wouldn't believe the goal I scored, I ran down the thing with a touchline with my, like that, yeah? When a kid does something like that, yeah? 
Well, Paul writes all of 1 to 14 as one sentence. There is no commas, no full stops, there's no pauses. He just unloads it. It's all written. So that's an important thing. Definitely 3 to 14, and some would argue 1 to 14, one sentence, no punctuation, without pause. And I think that's because he wants it without pause. He wants us to take in its riches, take it all in, take the whole thing in. We've put chapter markers, verses, commas, and full stops all over it. They didn't exist. We put them there to make it readable. But actually, it's written with no sort of emphasis on one particular thing. It's just all great stuff to hear. And that's how it's written. It's supposed to change us from the inside, so we just need to take it all in and watch it do its work. So I'm going to do my best. I'm not a great public reader. Um, to read it, something like it was written, as best I can. I will have to breathe at some point. Um, and then we're going to major in on one word and a theme. The theme itself, I'll tell you now, is uh, this particular theme, which is this phrase that runs throughout it, in Christ. In Christ, these things are happening. In Christ, you are allowed access to these things. In Christ, you have your new identity. That's the theme. That's not the word that I'm going to pick out in particular either. That's the theme. So we have this new identity. We accept Jesus and God no longer sees us the same way that he used to. We become sons and daughters to, to him. In Jesus, we find out just what that means to be a son and a daughter to God, the living God. And what we're going to get access to as a result of that. It's amazing. I know it's taken me a long time to get to the scripture. Um, I'm not trying to avoid the inevitable indigestion it's going to cause when you take it all in. But I think God wants us just to be ready for what he's actually saying, which is why I think it's so great. We've had so many times to hear it this morning. I think it's going to help deal with some of the issues in ourselves, in the church, in this country, in our church itself. And some of that relates to the fact that we don't actually quite get this. We don't quite accept it. We think it's nice and it's good news, but we don't take it fully in. I think God wants to say, why don't you just try and take it, much of it in as you can today. We get anxious about our purpose. It's one of the things we do. We get very anxious about our purpose and we neglect the joy of what's happened. We forget that purpose is nice, but God saved us and he has enabled so much stuff to happen. Ephesians 1 is a remedy for that level of anxiety. That if you're someone who feels, I'm stressed because I don't quite know where I'm going, God wants to say, I understand that anxiety, but let me just go back to basics here. Do you know what I've done? Do you understand what I'm giving you? Anxiety is not of me. Everything is available to you. Stop stressing. So when we get this more and more, we're able to walk in truth and joy and victory. So here it goes. Look out for the in Christ Jesus or the in hymns as I read it out. It's very hard to read something without overly punctuating, so I'm just going to do my best. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of 
of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace which he has lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we, who were the first to hope in Christ, might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance, until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory." Amen. I mean, what else can I say? But amen. There's so much there that I think what, you know, you just, Andy, I probably got about six words. Well, yes, you probably did. Because there's just too much for anyone on a Sunday morning to, 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 to get all of the goodness out of that. The point is, there's so much there. You have to, and I'm, I'm going to say you have to, yeah, you have to go away and read this more. You have to. Because this is fundamental to what's going to help you in times of anxiety, times of difficulty. Remember what he's done. Some of you don't like that in churches. That someone tells you you have to do something. Tough. You have to go and read this more. It's so rich. Maybe you don't see that just now. And that's just fine. Maybe there's just too many words, too many things, too many things to take on. And you'd be absolutely right because you have to read it some more. So that's what, this is what I intend to do. I'm going to go quickly through some points at a high level, not breaking it up into pieces too much. See what the scripture tells us and how that every topic is a preach in its own right. Every single theme in this is a, is a good 40-minute preach in its own right. I'm going to stay high level so I can keep Paul's flow going as best I can. Um, keep it pouring out. Don't dissect it. Don't dilute the truth that's in there. Because there are so many commentaries, so many commentaries, books you can read about this. And you'll stri- struggle, you won't struggle to find one to dig deep on any of it. You could take any of it and you could go deep, deep down into it. Got some books I could recommend, many others would if you need to know. There's something in this you think, I want to know about that. Trust me, there's a book on it. Once I've done my fly pass, I'm going to tell you about this one word. Oh, I love the suspenses. Great. All right, so let's try. What I see in what are verses 1 and 2 is that we've now called them. Is a standard greeting, not for the Ephesian audience necessarily, although written to them. Paul is declaring they've got this new identity because, like I said before, Ephesus was famous for idolatry. It was deeply pagan. It was quite dark. It had institutionalized prostitution, had a library with a tunnel to a brothel. Most famously, this temple known throughout the world. And actually, that temple was eventually not known for Artemis or Diana. It was known as a temple where, you, where prostitutes were. So that's what it became known as. Very, and great big hedonistic celebrations. So really about just satisfy your own needs. That's what, what that temple became known about. But now Paul declares to these people who have turned to Jesus, they are now faithful saints. He refers to them as faithful saints in Jesus. So he declares that over the people. You're still in Ephesus. You're still an Ephesian but you have a new identity. You're Ephesian, but you're a saint. You're in Jesus. Your identity is Christian and Ephesian. You are both at the same time. You're no longer identified with the ways of Ephesus, but that's where you are. But actually your identity is in Christ and he's the one you're going to model. 
So that's important to know that he is saying, like to me, I'm a Harrovian, I come from Harrow, or I'm a Watfordian because that's where I happen to live, but I'm a Christian. My identity is not placed in Watford, my identity is in Christ, this is where I live. But my identity is in Christ, and he's the one I'm trying to model. So if someone meets me and says, you know, where are you from? My natural instinct is going to say, well, I'm from Watford. But of course, I'm thinking in my head, perhaps, how do I actually say, well, I'm actually from Watford, but really, it doesn't matter where I'm from, I'm, I'm in Christ. I mean, it's, a, it's an interesting concept to try and figure out through. So we're Watfordian, or wherever you are, Hemel Hempstedian, I don't know what all these things work out as, but you are primarily, uh, your identity is in Christ, and you're part of something much bigger. So that's just one and two, and I could go on for ages about verses one and two. There's a lot more in that than I've just said there. But I'm going to keep it high level. Verse three tells us every spiritual blessing is upon us. And what that verse does is it tees up everything that's about to follow. The word blessing here is translated from the Greek, and it's translated from the word that is, we would know as eulogy. So that's what the blessing word means. We think of that as what's said at funerals. Sometimes you use that term for a wedding, but it doesn't, it, that's where it just gets its name put. Actually, a eulogy just means to speak well of or to praise highly. So that's what eulogy actually means. So verse 3 is saying God has pronounced good things over us. He has pronounced them. He has said, these good things are coming to you. Unrestricted, pouring out. Then in verses 4 to 7, they're all about being in God's plan. He's sovereign. He's in control. He desires Ephesus, Asia, and the world. He desires Watford, and he has a plan for it all. So that's what's going on in this section. A plan to seek and save the lost people, that they would praise him, give glory to him. And as you will see soon, they will inherit so much. That's what it's about. He has and will extend amazing grace to all of us. He'll lavish it upon us, and soon you're going to hear how he does it. Now, do I take it on or not? Here's the question. If you've been around churches for enough time... This is not the word, by the way, that I want to talk about later, but there is a word in there that causes some challenges. Predestined. Everyone who's been around church is now going, Andy, did you just step on a mine? Because it's an area of much controversy or discussion, and I'm not going to um, jump right into it. It causes angst because people get hung up on what it means when it says he predestined it. And they wonder, if it's all predestined, are we not just puppets in God's great plan? Are we not just running with this thing? That he's already, the die's cast. So what are, we, what are we involved in here? And I've wrestled this for a while. Do I follow this thing or not? Do I, do I spend my next, I don't know, we've got 15 more minutes on this? I decided I'd tell you this. Google it. Google Andrew Wilson on predestination. Google Phil Moore on it. Google some people that you know you respect as theologians about it. And they will give you some great insights into it. If you want to chew it over, do it that way. But I'll tell you Andy Smith's version. And you can fight with me later if you want to. Here's my attempt. I love my wife. She's my soulmate. She's embarrassed now. She's my running mate. She's a phenomenal blessing to me in times of struggle and in times of blessing. I thank God I met her. So imagine if at 18 years old I knew she was out there. 
specifically being told without question. She's out there, she's blonde, she's pretty, and she's going to bless your socks off. I would do everything I could to find her. I wouldn't be passive, laying on the couch, wondering if she's the one that's going to deliver my pizza. I would find her. I would go look for her. How about this? Knowing you're going to be pivotal, pivotal in the abolition of modern slavery. Being assured that one day you will see an act passed that means sex trafficking becomes so outlawed and enforceable that it's consigned to the past like children were in workhouses in Britain many years ago. If you knew that was your destiny, you would study it, would you not? You would study so hard to make sure it happens, Kat. You would toil and you would labor over that destiny. You would not relent. You would grapple with the law to ensure that that thing you know is going to happen, you'll do everything you can to bring it forward and make it happen as soon as possible. You would not sit there thinking, ah, that's my destiny. Plug me into the matrix. I'm just going to watch daytime TV. You would not do that. You would get yourself desperately involved. Andrew Wilson said it this way in his explanation. He said it's like, you know you're going to score the goal in the second half that's going to win your team a massive victory. Then you chase every ball thinking, is this the one that does it? You wouldn't stand there like that going, it's just going to bounce off my head at some point, so I might as well just hang around. You would chase it down because it's important, it's critical, it's vital. So whatever your view on that predestination point might be, I don't mind. I do, but I don't mind now because the most important thing is that you actually realize that it doesn't stop us doing anything. We chase down everything that God has planned. He is sovereign. I don't think he's surprised I got saved. I believe and I'm confident that he knew I got saved. I'm just so thankful my mum, Terry and Liz McGovern, and several other people acted out their part in getting me there. Rather than thinking, I wonder when it's going to happen. They don't know. They're just chasing down every possible opportunity. So I'm fine with that. I'm glad he's got a plan to save people. I'm glad I'm involved in that. I'm thrilled when people execute that plan and we can all be used. God has a plan. He's got people to save. And like me and my wife, we should be out there looking for them and being anything but passive. Super briefly then, we can pray for divine appointments. We can pray for those opportunities to come up. They're more likely to happen in your front line. They're more likely to happen where you work, in the people you mix with every day, than they're going to happen by standing on the edge of the street screaming, you all need Jesus Christ in your lives. There's nothing wrong with that, in my view, if you do it right. But are we all called to that? No, we're all called to literally be able to share it with the people we know every day. We pray, God, hook me into your plan. I want to be part of it. Okay, we've got about 10 minutes or so left. So let's just breathe for a moment. And then I'm going to move on to this one word. This is where we are at the moment. Just take a breather. When you follow Jesus, you are in Christ. You have a new identity and it's radically different from the one you had before. God pronounces good things over us. These things are of huge benefit. He has a plan and it's being worked out for us and in us. And our involvement in that plan is active. It is not passive. Now breathe for a moment. Right, back to the beginning. Part two. So when I was prepping, I was reading book after book. And there are so many books on this particular section of scripture. Book after book. I was watching preachers online, some really great ones. I say Andrew Wilson, Fillmore, both fantastic. Just Google them on this whole topic. Really great talks on them. 
uh, Martin Lloyd-Jones, incredible book, although tough read about this. Wonderful things. I became actually by Friday quite frustrated because I'm thinking, I can't take any more of this. No two preachers were the same. No two books were the same. The angles were different. They were aligning, but they were so rich and they were quite different. I was getting frustrated. I became concerned. I had a busy week. Then an elders meeting, pastoral challenges. We had a unite on Friday. I thought the only thing I can now do is mess up because I have nothing except overwhelm and nothing on paper by Friday late afternoon. Still reading more, still taking on. But after Unite, a word came, a sense that this is what we need to hear, me included, what we need to hear. And so yesterday morning, I woke up with nothing but this one word on my mind. And despite what it sounds like, I'm not someone that says, I heard God audibly say to me at the moment. I feel God say stuff to me, but I'm not someone who says, I literally heard a big voice come from heaven and say, this word is the word. I don't hear that, but I, God says stuff, and I think, you know, I think I'm hearing God here, but I need to go get confirmation. That's really important to me. So I was a little anxious. I needed to be sure. So I asked God while I was in the smallest room in the house, thinking about it, saying, God, will you just give me one confirmation, something factual and undeniable that can confirm this is what you want me to say. I know I'm being super mysterious, but roll with me for a minute. I feel like I need to. So maybe it's because this is going to land. I'm just hanging it out there for a moment because I think you'll think afterwards, I don't know if that was that important, but I believe you will actually in the months and years to come. And as I said, what I'll do then is I'll read, I'll almost read the rest of the scripture. I'm not going to do much more exposition i'm gonna let it do its work i don't think you need me to help it i think you just need to accept it me too so in verse five is the word i want to major on. i'll tell you in a minute how it got confirmed but the word that cried out was right in the middle of it all this is verse five and it was this word adoption beloved we're adopted you and me are adopted through christ jesus And we need to know what that really, really means. Adoption in the Roman Empire, so at the time this was being written, means you get everything. Adoption is incredible. You inherit everything just as a son or daughter. In fact, you inherit slightly, or you get slightly more. Because at that time, if you're adopted, you cannot be unadopted. But if you're a son or daughter, you can be disinherited. So adoption would give you rights to things that could not be taken away. Adoption means you're fully embraced, accepted, and you have every blessing offered to you, and nothing gets held back. Now, here's an interesting fact. Phil Moore, thank you very much. By the time Paul writes this letter, there's been five Roman emperors. There has been Augustus, Tiberius, Caligula, Claudius, and finally Nero. Four of those five are adopted They're adopted sons of the previous emperor. The only one who isn't is Claudius. The rest are all adopted sons of the previous emperor to become the new emperor. They get all of Rome. They get the kingdom, and yet they're adopted into that. They get to receive everything. So what's this confirmation that God gave me that I mentioned about earlier? Because he said to me, adoption is make sure we understand what it means when I say I've adopted you. I've given you everything. I'm inviting you to everything, every blessing I want to pour out on you. So the confirmation I mentioned earlier, the thing that helped me needed to hear, I woke up with adoption right in the center of my head. 
And I was thinking about Gareth and Sue Burgess and Kira and trying to imagine it from Kira's perspective, what it's meant to be adopted. Not her past, but her present and her future. And I know Gareth well, I know Sue as well, and they speak so much of their love and their pride and their their feelings for Kira. And it it affects me, and and I became overwhelmed thinking... God adopted me, Andy Smith. He adopted me. I'm adopted by God. I'm still the son of Valerie and George. That was my parents' names. But now I'm in Christ. God has adopted me. And I get so much. I inherit so much. And it's all him. He chooses me. He chooses me. And it's wonderful to know that type of love. So I had a moment as I left the little room. I thought, I'm just going to Google something. Adoption Sunday, 2016. When is it? November the 6th. Today is Adoption Sunday. I didn't know that. Today is Adoption Sunday. I had no idea. I think I might have heard mention of it. It's in the annual calendar. I didn't know when it was, but it's today. God is telling us all who are in Christ, we need to know we've been adopted into the riches of his goodness. You have inherited his kingdom. You are in his kingdom, and that salvation is assured. A deposit has been paid, and it's a non-refundable, and it's not like the deposit we might think, like, I've given £100 because I'm going to buy a car for 1000 It's not that type of deposit. It's like a foretaste. Some say a down payment. You get, I think Jimmy might have said it when he was singing as well, you get to actually have some of it now, and then in the future you get it all in the heaven. But there is, you, get, you get it now as well. You get it now, and you get it then. Sealed by the Spirit, assured. God's adoption means I choose you. I choose you. You have no rights to me by birth, but I have chosen you. That's important to some of you in here to know. Maybe it's important to everyone in here to know. He chose you. Why don't you say with me, he chose me. One, two, three. He chose me. In Jesus, we have forgiveness of sins. In him we have salvation. That makes us right with God. God could not adopt us were we still in rebellion. And it says in these verses about the gospel of Jesus. That's the one that takes away your sin, accounts for your rebellion, and everything from the past gets forgiven, forgotten, and you're set afresh, freshly adopted, accepted. And then he says, this is what I'll give to you. And beloved, we just need to believe it afresh today. So no more Andy for a minute. Let's just read it out one more time. And I'll read it slower this time. In him we have redemption through his blood. The forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight. Making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose which he set forth in Christ Jesus. As a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him. We have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. So that we who were the first to hope in Christ, in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is a guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. We're adopted into something absolutely magnificent, so rich and so full and so assured that it can't be broken. 
He saved us in Christ Jesus, called us into his plan, and his plan is to unite everything back together again. I'll tell you one thing, and I'm not going to get political because I find it difficult to stand here and take any advantage of that, but if Brexit and the American election has taught me one thing, we are a people, a, a, a race that love to divide, that love to take positions and say, my position is right and your position is 100% wrong, and I despise you for it. And if you look at the American election and how people respond now on social media, it's that. It's not that I accept your view anymore. It's I stand here, you stand there, and you're wrong. What's God's plan? To unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth, which is why we don't take those positions. Respect your opinion. Jesus loves you. That's the end of it. We're beneficiaries and we're workers. Let's just soak in one last time and then I'm going to wrap it up. This is the message version of 11 to 14. The message is a, if you don't know, is a translation that's written in a bit more everyday English. Well, it was when it was written. It's probably getting less every day now. But anyway, it says this. It's in Christ that we find out who we are and what we are living for. Long before we first heard of Christ and got our hopes up, he had his eyes on us. He had designs for us for glorious living. Part of the overall purpose he is working out in everything and everyone. It's in Christ that you, once you heard the truth and believed it, the message of your salvation, found yourselves home free, signed, sealed, and delivered by the Holy Spirit. This signet from God is the first installment of what's coming, a reminder that will get everything God has planned for us, a praising and glorious life. So like I said, when Jimmy said, can I sing it? I was like, yes, Jimmy, let's sing it. Everyone will stand there going, what's going on? I don't know this one. Where's the chorus? Where's the bridge? Where's the drums? You know, what's going on here? I don't really didn't. I just thought, what a great way to remind ourselves. This is just a way to get this stuff in. And, it, and he sent it to me on my phone yesterday, and it was great. I was just listening to it, thinking, this is wonderful. I just can. I could. Rem- the moment he started to sing, I remembered it because it was put to music to help it go in. So my challenge today, my encouragement, but my big challenge is to accept. That when you ask Jesus into your life, you're accepted, forgiven, and you've been adopted. In Jesus, God invited us into his inheritance. He pronounced good things over all of us and invited us into his plan. He set us free and he sealed it. I'm 50. I was 50. Most of you will know because you came to my 50th, but I'm 50. Saying we're adopted seems like it's something you would only talk about to children. That's a worldview of adoption. God's view of adoption is this. You were separated from me and I called you back shown you a way to deal with your separation, now you're mine. And I give you everything that's important to you to be able to live your life, reach this town, this city, cities in Egypt. And you'll hear more about that in the weeks to come. Isaiah 59 says this, Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened, that it cannot save, or his ear dull, that it cannot hear. But your iniquities have made you a separation have made a separation between you and your gods. We were separated. But when you're adopted, he says this, but God, being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. Amen. We were going to sing a song, but we've, we've run out of time. We had a lot to do again. That's typical of our church. Hope you don't mind. It was a little cheesy anyway, but there's a great song that says, I'm accepted, I'm forgiven. I'm loved by a true and living God. And it's just a reminder. But I think it'd be good if I just prayed with us. And if you want to stay behind and be prayed for, there's a prayer ministry team that would be happy to do that. I'm happy to pray with you. 
But let's stand for a moment, shall we? And then I'll end the meeting, if that's all right. If you can't stand, don't worry. Blessing is abounding. Father God, we be recipients of your word today. It's so difficult to pack so much amazing truth into 35, 40 minutes. And yet, Father God, you packed so, that truth into that scripture. You, through Paul, told us this amazing truth that we are sons and heirs, daughters and heirs. We are those who have inherited an incredible truth, that we are saved, we are loved, we are part of your plan. And I'm so thankful that you have a plan for me, for my family, for my neighbors, for my town, for my nation, for the world. I'm so thankful, Father God, that it isn't down to me. It isn't down to political leaders. It is your plan you've called us into. And you are continuing to pour out on us every spiritual blessing to enable that to happen. But Father, what you wanted to say today is, don't you ever forget Don't ever forget that you, by name, are adopted into my family. And I loved you so much that I chose you. Don't look left, look right. I chose you. And now we are praying, would you help us in your purposes to call many to Christ, to have many brothers and sisters in this church, in the churches across Watford, filled with people who say, he chose me too, you know. Thank you for being part of making sure I knew that. Some of you are here today. You need to hear. He chose you. You're here not by accident. And you haven't yet said Jesus Christ is Lord. Make today the day you say, all right, I hear you, Father. And ask whoever you came with or me or someone here, will you pray with me? Because I know he's choosing me. He's calling me. And I don't want to resist any longer. I'd love to have whatever that is that you just said. Let salvation be a story of many more brothers and sisters that are chosen and adopted into his family. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Be blessed, people. Be blessed. Be filled with joy. You are chosen by the true and living God. Amen.